You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. kicking off a series called At The Movies, and what we're going to be doing all month long is we're going to be taking a movie, uh, one that's either just come out of the theaters or is currently in the theaters, and we're going to be just kind of exploring what it has to say about faith. Uh, we're not endorsing these films, so we're not trying to like get you to go out and necessarily buy tickets, but we're just hoping to be able to help you have conversations with your friends and family. This film we're going to be talking about today is far from the first film. The first film on the Godzilla series came out in 1954. Uh, since then, there have been 29 live-action films that have come out, plus a bunch of animated films. The film currently in the theaters, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, is actually part of the Warner Brothers-produced Monsterverse series. So uh, we had the uh, Kong and the Godzilla 2014 and uh, uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters that was up here a little while ago. And just uh, to kind of describe the movie we're going to be talking about today, I'm going to read the IMDb description of Godzilla, King of the Monsters. The cryptozoological agency Monarch faces off against a battery of God-sized monsters, including the mighty Godzilla, who collides with Mothra, Rodan, and his ultimate nemesis, the three-headed King Ghidorah. It just sounds like a Godzilla movie, right? And in case you're looking for like a new career path this morning, a cryptozoologist is someone who searches for legendary creatures. So if you've ever seen shows on like Travel Channel where they're looking for Bigfoot or Loch Ness Monster, that's a, a cryptozoologist. I don't necessarily recommend that as a career path. I don't know um, for the kids in here, if you're looking for something to do with your life, I'm going to be on your parents' side and kind of steer you away from that. But as I was preparing for this message, one of the questions I asked myself is, why do we like big, dumb, fond monster movies? Like, what is it about Godzilla and movies like this that's entertaining? I don't know about why you like them, but for me, I want to see huge monsters fight each other, right? There's just something about big monsters facing off. There's something about a nearly 400-foot-tall, irradiated, prehistoric, amphibious reptile shooting bright blue light out of his mouth and putting a three-headed dragon in a suplex that's just oddly satisfying. Like, I, I just enjoy watching these big titans, these creatures, go toe-to-toe. But Godzilla, in, in this movie, facing off against Ghidorah, that's not the only fight that we get in this film. Pretty early on in the film, and just so you know, I'm going to spoil a ton of this movie. I'm very spoiler-adverse in general, um, but, but if you haven't seen this, you're not likely to go see it, because the way to see it was in the theater. But early on in the film, we're introduced to a scientist named Emma Russell, and she's trying to make sense of some tragedy that's happened in her life. Her son, Andrew, died during the battle of the 2014 Godzilla movie. So she creates a device that uses a combination of animal sounds and frequencies to communicate with the monsters. And at first, when we're introduced to her character, we, we think that she's doing this to keep the monsters calm and under control, that she wants to help mankind. But spoiler alert, she's actually partnered with a terrorist organization, 
and wants to unleash all the monsters and let them wipe out half of the world's population. See, she's not a kind, generous person. She's actually Thanos, right? Her, her plan is she wants to destroy half the universe and set things back in balance. She's Thanos, but instead of collecting infinity stones, she's collecting monsters. And what we find is that Dr. Russell is fighting her own battles. She's battling with grief and guilt. She's fighting with her pain and her loss. She's fighting with her desire for revenge and retribution. And I can't relate to Godzilla very much, but I can relate to her struggles. When we see the monsters fighting, it's important to remember that there's usually another fight going on. See, Dr. Russell, in this story, has declared war on the whole world, and the entire planet doesn't even know it. This morning, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, because I believe that the Bible has something to say about fights and conflict and what's actually going on in the world. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, it's going to tell us about the realities of this conflict. So I'm going to begin reading there in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. As we go through day-to-day -day life, it's easy to forget that the spiritual battle is real. Listen to what verse 12 there says. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our, our fight isn't against flesh and blood. It's not against other people, but it's against the rulers, authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, there's a lot of conflict that you'll experience in your day-to-day -day life. Conflict with flesh and blood. I was uh, working on this sermon the other, the other day, and I was sitting in a restaurant. There was an older couple uh, sitting at the table next to me. And when I first sat down near them, I, I thought they were on a date, and I guess they kind of were. But rather than talking about life or sharing funny anecdotes from their week, planning their future together, or staring wistfully into each other's eyes, you know, date kind of stuff, this older married couple was sitting at the table helping each other craft witty Twitter takedowns of their political enemies. <laughs> We've reached a point in our culture where that kind of behavior is an acceptable way to spend your evening out. Now, I don't know about you, if I took my wife out on a date and we sat and just were trying to like take people down on the internet, that's not her idea of a date night. But for this couple, that was what they were doing. There's a lot of conflict that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis. I want you to think about all the fights, all the conflict, all the, the anger that you see poured out on a daily basis. You might fight with your family, your significant other, your neighbors, your coworkers, maybe even a stranger or two on the internet. And we need to be careful as Christians, as followers of Christ, not to get caught up in all the petty fights that tend to dominate our culture. We need to be careful not to behave 
in that way. Proverbs 20, verse 3 says this. It's to one's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. It's to your honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. This is what Jesus said in the Beatitudes. God blesses those who work for peace. Maybe you're familiar with blessed are the peacemakers, right? God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. See, when we see all this fighting going on around us, all this conflict that we're kind of sucked into sometimes and that we want to participate in and this, this constantly surrounding us, what we need to remember is that when we are like God the most, it's when we're bringing peace to conflict. When we're healing wounds rather than inflicting them. When we waste our time fighting against flesh and blood, we're really missing the point. There's a whole other battle going on, and it actually deserves our attention. There's a whole other conflict that often goes unnoticed. And what Ephesians chapter 6 is reminding us is that the spiritual life, even though it's often unnoticed, is real. Ephesians 6 is kind of peeling back the visible world and showing us what's going on behind the scenes. It reminds me of what happens in the book of Revelation. I think the book of Revelation is trying to do the same thing. The book of Revelation is probably the most misunderstood and one of the most misused books in the Bible. Its name is trying to tell you what it wants to do. It wants to reveal something, to reveal truth, unseen realities about the world around us. And the book of Revelation uses this powerful, vivid imagery, this deep metaphor to reveal the spiritual realities that are at work behind the social, political, economic, and religious pressures that Christians have faced throughout the centuries and will continue to face. So it shouldn't surprise us then that Godzilla-like imagery shows up in the book of Revelation. In, in Revelation chapter 12, the evil one is described as a seven-headed dragon, and this is something like seems right out of a Godzilla movie. There are spiritual monsters at play in our world. Behind every fight we see, experience, or participate in, there are spiritual realities at play. But we're often slow or even avoiding spiritual battles. This is what James, Jesus' brother, wrote in James chapter 1. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. I want you to think for just a moment, what would happen if Christians today, you and I, refused to take part in the flesh and blood flight, fights, but instead focused our energies on spiritual battles? What would happen if we didn't get drugged into the muddy, brutal battles between other people, this conflict that so permeates our culture? What if we said no to those things and instead focused our energy on spiritual realities and spiritual battles? Two questions I want you to ask yourself. What unnecessary fights do I need to end or walk away from? And what spiritual battles have I been avoiding? What unnecessary fights do I need to end or walk away from, and what spiritual battles have I been avoiding? See, Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us that no matter how much we try to ignore it or avoid it, the spiritual fight is real. Ephesians chapter 6 also, though, wants us to be confident that Jesus has already won the spiritual battle. In Mark chapter 3, there's this kind of interesting story where Jesus 
is confronted by a group of religious leaders who claim that he's casting out demons and he's exercising demons by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And Jesus responds with this analogy. He says that if you want to steal something from a strong man, you better tie them up first. That if you're going to steal something from a strong man's house, you better make sure that he's locked down. And what Jesus is saying there is that he's already tied up the evil, the oppressive, the demonic powers that are at work in the world. All the monsters that are unleashed on humanity, Jesus has victory over them. Looking back at Ephesians chapter 6, this is what verse 10 says. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. His might. Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. It's Jesus' strength that wins, not yours. It's God's armor that overcomes, not yours. You will still battle monsters in this world. You will still struggle and suffer. But this means that when we're following Jesus, we've sided with the one who's able to win the fight. Think about Godzilla from the Godzilla stories. Godzilla is an irradiated prehistoric amphibious reptile. I love saying that phrase. People who study mythology and literature and films often like to classify their different monsters that are at play. And Godzilla is considered a natural monster. He's prehistoric. In the Godzilla mythology, he isn't created by the nuclear fallout of atomic weapons. He's awakened and strengthened by them. See, he already existed, and the decisions of people unleashed him on the world. Godzilla is the natural consequences of our decisions. When I think about the fear of our past coming back to haunt us, and our mistakes finding us out, that's real. That's, that's a real monster. I remember being a child and running through the house when I wasn't supposed to, and knocking over something that was glass that was my mom's. I went to her craft drawer and I just tried to find the glue to stick it back together, right? In hopes that she wouldn't notice. And there was that guilt and that shame and that covering up my mistake so that I wouldn't be found out. And I think that's something we can all relate to. Fear and pain and guilt and shame and brokenness, they can be devastating. And what we need to know is that while the natural consequences of our poor choices and the choices of others are running loose in the streets and they're knocking over buildings and destroying high-rises, we can trust Jesus' strength. Because the fact is, Jesus has already won. But victory looked a little different for Jesus than it does for Godzilla. Unlike Godzilla, Jesus didn't win by out-monstering the monsters. He didn't out-battle and out-fight them. Instead, he won through love and sacrifice. This is what Philippians chapter 2 says. Being found in human form, he humbled himself. Talking about Jesus. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. See, Jesus was the true king. He was the self-sacrificing king who showed us what power and victory really look like. Godzilla, the king of the monsters, ends with Dr. Russell coming to terms with her mistakes and unleashing all these monsters in the world 
and she finally submits to Godzilla's inevitable victory. At the end, she's facing her own death and getting ready to sacrifice herself, and she simply looks at Godzilla and says, Long live the king. Long live the king. See, there are spiritual fights at work in the world, and Jesus had already conquered them. But what Jesus is calling us to do is in the face of these trials, these conflicts, these fights that exist in the spiritual world, to stand firm. Look back at verses 10 through 13 of Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. I just, some phrases here. Verse 10, be strong. That means to endure with strength. That means to to face the battles with strength. Verse 11, to stand against evil. Verse 13, withstand. This means to stand your ground. This is battle imagery here. Verse 13, to stand firm. This morning, as we consider what lessons we can learn from Godzilla and what it looks like to face the spiritual realities of our world and say, I'm not going to participate in the petty conflict going on around me, what I want you to ask yourself is, what is keeping you from completely trusting God? 